Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, shall we blame it on the pandemic? Well, some industry analysts believe America's pilot shortage was further intensified as training and hiring slowed and, yes, a surge of early retirements. Now there are canceled flights, suspended routes and overworked pilots have all led to travelers feeling the impact. Well, today we'll hear from veteran pilots on what needs to be done to attract recruits and to bring more diversity into the field. And later in the program, a historic moment this week as civil rights leader and pioneering educator Mary McLeod Bethune is honored. All that's just ahead. But first, from our WABE newsroom, COVID-19 cases are up dramatically over the last week in Georgia. Health officials point to the spike being linked to the latest virus subvariant, which is highly transmissible, as we hear from Jess Mador. The Atlanta-based CDC confirms the Omicron subvariant known as BA5 is already the predominant strain driving COVID-19 infections. It transmits from person to person more easily, and epidemiologists say it's also better at resisting antibodies. This is reflected in Georgia's weekly COVID numbers. The state's added almost 28,000 new confirmed cases. That's up by almost 7,000, and almost 1,200 people are hospitalized. And the case data is an undercount since so many people are testing at home. Health officials say with infections spreading fast, it's critical to be up to date on your vaccinations. For help scheduling a shot, call the health department at 888-457-0186. Jess Mador, WABE News. In other health news, Georgia has the eighth highest rate of mental health incidents among young people in the U.S. Medical experts cite teenagers are experiencing increasing rates of pandemic-related anxiety, depression, self-harm, and suicide. Dr. Nathan Copeland is with Duke University. He says there was a pediatric mental health crisis before COVID and the pandemic. What else made things worse? What we saw was increased loneliness, increased isolation, increased parental distress, increased substance use disorders across the entire population. Experts at Duke add expanding Medicaid would make mental health services more accessible to more teenagers. Georgia is one of 12 states that hasn't opted for Medicaid expansion. Guess who's growing? Metro Atlanta's population is now nearly 5.1 million folks, according to a new estimate. As Emil Moffitt reports, Gwinnett County boasts the largest population increase in the past year. While it pales in comparison to the growth rate of the 1990s when the region was adding 90,000 people a year, Metro Atlanta did pick up some 64,000 residents from April of 21 until this April, representing a rebound from the prior year. The estimates are made by the Atlanta Regional Commission based on the most recent census data, plus stats like building permits. Gwinnett County led the way with some 13,000 new residents. Fulton County added the second most with more than 11,000. Just over 5,000 people moved into the city of Atlanta itself. 
Among the reasons the region continues to grow, employment, with Metro Atlanta posting strong job growth numbers above the U.S. average. Emil Moffat, WABE News. Now, before y'all start sending me an email fussing about that 5.1 million number, that is from the Atlanta Regional Commission, so y'all email them, not me. Six minority-owned small businesses are up and running on the Atlanta Beltline. The new program looks to highlight businesses that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford that high commercial rent in the area. Clyde Higgs, CEO of the Beltline, says this is the first business incubator opening along the Beltline, with more to come. We have to be very intentional about making sure that the Beltline is a tool for our entire community. Three of the businesses are on the East Side Trail and three are on the West Side. They range from a cookie company to a clothing store. Georgia representatives want to name the Department of Veterans Affairs office in Atlanta after the late Republican U.S. Senator Johnny Isaacson. U.S. lawmakers introduced that bill yesterday. Isaacson died in December of last year, just one week before his 77th birthday. The longtime politician represented Georgia and Washington for more than 20 years, first in the House and then in the Senate. Fellow lawmakers have praised Isaacson as championing important reforms to improve quality and accessibility of services for American veterans. And finally... Field goal for Baltimore as the Knicks have it. This is Walt Frazier, number 10. Over Chenier. Ah, perfect shooting, Bill. We're three for three. Rebound comes off to Frazier. What a player. One of my favorites. Frazier, beautiful. One of my favorites. One of the greatest to ever play the game. White Claude, Clyde Frazier, NBA legend, Hall of Famer, will have the Walt Clyde Frazier Gym Court Gymnasium named in his honor at Atlanta's David T. Howard Middle School next week. Yes, he will be here for the ceremony. I will be there, too. Now, Walt Frazier went to the former David T. Howard High School on Atlanta's east side, and it was one of two high schools during the early 40s that blacks could attend, the other being Booker T. Washington on the west side. The school actually closed in 1976, but it's been completely renovated and renamed David T. Howard Middle School. And now the gym will be renamed in white Clyde Frazier's honor. Can't wait for that. That's all right. This is Closer Look. From WABE in Atlanta, Closer Look continues. I'm Rose Scott. Well, we think we know the problem. Yes, there's a commercial pilot shortage. As for the reasons and the solutions, well, that depends on whom you ask. One reason some industry analysts cite is that mandatory retirement age for commercial pilots, which is 65 years of age. Now, here's what PBS NewsHour aviation correspondent Miles O'Brien had to say. Well, if you waved a magic wand and said pilots didn't absolutely positively have to retire at the age of 65, which some people would agree is not the best line in the sand for a lot of individuals, you know, they do get uh, checked out by a doctor thoroughly twice a year. You could do it on a more case-by-case basis. That would immediately uh, leave a lot of very experienced, some of the best pilots you'd like on the flight deck, uh, on the job. Well, another reason for the nation's pilot shortage has to do with overworked pilots. Now, last month, it led to American Airlines stopping services beginning in September to some airports in Iowa, New York, and Ohio. And in a statement, American Airlines simply stated it was due to the pilot shortage. Well, we have two guests coming up, but first I want to welcome Aiden Clark, the Dean of the School of Aviation at Middle Georgia State University. Dean Clark's aviation career spans more than 30 years. He is a FAA-rated pilot and mechanic. And along with his Air Force career, he's worked in agricultural aviation, corporate aviation, general aviation, and commercial airline aviation. So he's an expert on aviation. Dean Clark, welcome. 
Thank you, Rose. It's glad to be here. Let's go back a little bit before we take a deeper dive into this, quote, pilot shortage. But I want to go back by letting our audience know a little bit more about you. Take us back to the very first time you were at the helm of a plane. What year and under what circumstances? Uh, Very young. Uh, I grew up in an aviation family. My granddad and dad both were pilots. So as far back as I can remember, I've been involved in aviation. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you were actually, you were, you were the pilot, you were the person in control? Oh, yeah. I, I, like I said, I was really young, probably five, six, seven years old, uh, flying with my dad or granddad. Uh, first time at the controls by myself was later in life. Yeah. And so you knew you wanted to be a pilot. I did. How many hours would you say you've you've logged? If you even have you even attempted to count that up? I I don't track that any longer. Yeah, when'd you stop? Uh, I I still fly, but it's purely for for my pleasure now. What do you make of? Well, let me back up first because some people say, well, I've heard industry analysts say there really isn't a pilot shortage. If they could just tweak a few things, just in general, what is your, what are your thoughts on all of this now? Well, I, it, it's like the discussion goes. It depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to ALPA, the pilot union, or if you're talking to the airlines, uh, you're talking to the training organizations. Mm-hmm. It, it, but there are there are a lot of factors involved, um, as as we'll discuss in this section, I guess. Well, let's let's give me your top two then factors that you think are are leading to this pilot shortage. Well, obviously, there's been an increase in airline travel. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the demand is is up significantly and the number of pilots that are retiring. And you mentioned in the uh, previously the mandatory retirement age of 65. That puts nearly 6000 pilots per year retiring. Uh, because they hit that mandatory 65 retirement age. And and on the flip side of that, the FAA in 2021 only issued just short of 5,000 ATP, uh, air transport pilot certificates, which qualifies people to go to work for the airlines. So wait, let's back up here. You're saying we're looking at 6,000 retirements each year due to that mandatory age of 65, and then you count, you, we look at last year and only 5,000 were certified to come on new pilots. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. That, yeah, those are rough numbers, but that's, that's, that's accurate, yes. Well, if you could address this to the FAA, which you are part of, I mean, what, do you think then, Dean, that that's 65? Should that be a case-by-case as what we heard from Miles O'Brien there in that PBS clip? I, I think that that it could be uh i know there has been some talk in the senate uh i believe lindsey graham had uh floated the idea of raising the retirement age to 67. pilots undergo strict medical evaluations mm-hmm. uh especially commercial airline pilots so uh, they are evaluated you you can argue both sides that maybe as you grow older you lose you know possibly physical and mental cognitive abilities but you also gain a ton of experience over the years mm-hmm. and that's what miles o'brien was alluding to well let me ask you this dean clark if you had if you had to make the decision would it be a case by case would you 
change that number, or would it simply be for each commercial airline pilot that it would simply would be after an evaluation? I don't know if there's any other skill assessment that can be administered. Would you want to change it to that? Well, I'm, I'm not a medical expert, so sure. I'll defer to them on that. But I, I, I do think a case-by-case basis with some, some, some type of evaluation process, I mean, I, I know lots of people, and, and quite honestly, we hire a lot of retired people because of that retirement age. As uh, a matter of fact, we have one coming on in January that will be retired from the airlines in December. Mm-hmm. He's only retired because of that mandatory. He's very sharp. Um, still very active flying both with the airlines and and personally for himself so i think it's i think it's definitely worth looking at let me ask you this then folks talking about well the pandemic has amplified or or intensified the issues now that folks are dealing with who want to travel because there is this pilot shortage early retirements folks may be saying you know what this is not for me I'm, i'm working too closely with folks we have this pandemic are you you contend that that is also another reason that the pandemic, which we're still in. Absolutely. I mean, there was uh, um, thousands of pilots took early retirement packages, not just pilots, but across the board at the airlines. The airlines have been impacted, you know, customer service, technicians, uh, pilots um, with the early retirements. But specifically speaking on the pilots, there was a number of people that took early retirements when there was a, a already a pre-pandemic shortage um in in my discussions with airlines that we have partnerships with mm-hmm. um, they all indicate the need to hire prior to and covid was a brief reprieve from that shortage but now it, i think it's exacerbated the problem well let me ask you this, dean and also let's talk about the pipeline we're going to bring in another pilot in just a second but you know often when we talk about in- increasing the pipeline for whatever sector or, or field we're referring to obviously it, sometimes they say it has to begin in middle school or, or high school are you seeing a lot of folks wanting to become commercial airline pilots it's it's very difficult. I'm actually doing a little research in that area, just starting that. Um, the The problem with becoming a pilot is is the cost associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to jump ahead to what you may or may not cover, but diversity is an issue. It's like you mm-hmm. asked me. I, I've been involved in aviation in my entire life. I had that exposure to it. So for me, it was always an obtainable goal. But for a lot of people that see an airplane fly over, it's literally and figuratively an unreachable goal. They don't even consider it. So I think that we and our institution has done a great job of reaching out and hosting camps and supporting other organizations that that um, focus on diversity, because you're going to have to diversify the workforce to get where you need. How are you all reaching out, Dean? Well, we so we have a number of organizations um, that we have clubs on campus. We participate with um, we do sky camps uh, both here in Eastman and in Macon, although we have not done them for the last two summers because of COVID. But mm-hmm. we plan to start them back next year. Uh, those are good outreach tools and we offer scholarships for folks. Uh, OBAP, uh, Organization of Black Aerospace mm-hmm. Professionals, uh, have a great program, uh, the ACE Academy. We were slotted to participate in an event they had, but due to supply chain shortages, we had a lot of aircraft down uh, due to parts, um, but we hope to re-engage with them. Uh, Women in Aviation uh, is another great organization 
Um, and we have clubs for both of those on our campus, and, and uh, we have very active chapters in those campuses. I was reading in, in preparing for this segment, reading about that also there are some concerns that perhaps there is this perception that, you know, to be a commercial airline pilot, you know, that the requirements that they can be offsetting to someone who might figure, well, do I have to be good in this or be good in that? But also we know that if you make this career choice available, even beginning in middle and high school, then kid, students know what classes they need. They know what it takes then to proceed further. Do you think perhaps maybe this also means partnering even below the, the college level here and getting getting youth involved, more involved, particularly youth of color? That that's that's a great point, and that's that kind of goes back to our. Uh, and we believe in starting early. Um, you know, middle school. Our camp is a middle school camp, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Uh, we try to engage with K twelve uh, organizations um, to to get them involved early, at least exposure, and let them know that hey, this is an option, and these mm-hmm. are the things that you need to consider. Uh, you know, if you want to go down this pathway. I want to shift for a moment and switch then to just the the duties and the the burden. I won't call it a burden, but also when it comes to being a commercial airline pilot, there are requirements in terms of how many miles. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just reading. So you let me know. There are some strict requirements and mandates and rules about how often a pilot flies and how much downtime they need. Does that need to be changed at all? Because I'm hearing and reading that pilots say, look, we're overworked. You know, and that's a reason to for this pilot shortage. What do you think? Well, I think you have another guest coming up that could probably answer that question better than me. Uh, I think you said you have an airline pilot coming on, but mm-hmm. those those are very important things to look at because the last thing you want in the cockpit is somebody that is tired, mm-hmm. exhausted. Quite frankly, that is the, you know, the reason the restricted ATP uh, air transport hours um, or the ATP hours were increased uh, years ago after the Colgan air crash. Mm-hmm. Um, they increased that to 1,500 hours. Uh, one of, part of the investigation determined that the crew was very tired from having to commute to get to where they um, were flying out of. Uh, There's a whole host of fa- factors involved in that, but that was one of one of what people consider one of the main factors. So that is a very important factor to look at. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to bring in another pilot because I want to talk about in terms of what they call minimum rest and duty and, and flight time for pilots. I think that's important. We'll be back in a moment. We'll continue this conversation. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. Thank you. 
And Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta continues. I'm Rose Scott, and we continue our coverage of the nation's commercial pilot shortage. Now, I'm in conversation with Aiden Clark from Middle Georgia State University. He's the dean for the School of Aviation. And, of course, we were talking about growing the number of pilots is key to all of this, but also creating a diverse pipeline of candidates. I'm also joined now by, joined now by Captain Teresa Claiborne, a veteran pilot and present Emeritus of Sisters of the Skies. Now, this is an organization of professional black female pilots, and they have a focus on supporting future black aviators through mentorships, professional development, outreach, and scholarship. Captain Claiborne, welcome. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. I appreciate being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Thank you so much. Before we get back into the conversation with Dean Clark as well, I'm going to ask you that same question that I asked him. Let's go back to that very first time you were at the helm of a plane. What year was it? And, and tell me about that feeling. Well, it was actually many moons ago. Um, folks can't see me, but I've got some gray locks that say that I'm up there. I'm 63 and I've got uh, just shy of uh, two years left in this game. Um, I first started, uh, you know, I've, I've, I, I went through ROTC, so I went to training camp mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I touched the controls of an airplane that was in 1980, uh-huh. so a long time ago. Well, your locks are beautiful. As a sister that has locks, too. (laughs) And how far back do you recall wanting to be a pilot? Was it like with uh, Dean Clark who said, look, you know, I was little, five, six. He knew he was going to fly. Is that the same for you? No, not at all. That was that was the day of reckoning for me. Um, I had my father had been in the military, so I had traveled extensively um, from base to base, uh, always on larger aircraft. But I'd never been in a smaller airplane. And this was my first opportunity. I was in a T-37 and I, I once I got up in the air and we did a little bit of uh, ac- acrobatic maneuvers, I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I wanna do. And, um, but the opportunity was not there immediately. When I left camp and went back to my unit at uh, UC Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, they asked, what do you wanna do? And I said, I wanna fly. Who doesn't wanna fly? This is the Air Force, I wanna fly. Say, well, I'm sorry, but uh, we've already given out the 10 slots for women for the year. So you'll have to pick another um, field. And so I picked um, public affairs because I'm a communications major. Um, but later on, you ended up getting an opportunity to to go to pilot training. So they were only allowing, there was an allotment of only 10 slots for women. And that's right. That's right. I mean, Um, I'm not going to say women have gone through the exact same thing that black people have because we know that they have not. Mm -hmm. However, we do have some commonality. And at the time, um, they weren't sure that women could hack it. And so they were training 10 women in the in the Air Force. And I was probably maybe the maybe the third class to go through. They decided after the first couple classes, they said, well, the women are washing out at the same rate as the men. So we'll increase the allotment from 10 to 30. Um, that's not a whole lot of people. No. And so I got in on that. I had to go take a physical, take a test. And after that, um, they, I met a board and they said, oh, you know, she might she might work. And so that's how I got to pilot training. Well, you should see the emails <laughs> that are coming in. Well, person wrote is writing, oh, my God, Rose, that's awful. But has it gotten better through your I mean, I think this is through your assessment. You know, and I know you're a little bit far removed from it, but uh, in right. terms of that, but what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Well, you know, it's gotten a little bit better, but let, let's face it. And the issues that we have as black people, the issue that we have as women, um, they're still there. 
Um, it depends on where you are in the pecking order of what happens on the flight deck. Um, I happen to be the captain, so um, I have a nice flight deck. Um, there's certain things that I just, you know, I don't discuss. And if anybody starts to talk about certain things, I say, hey, let's, this is not the place. We're not going to talk politics. Um, it, it, is, it is difficult for some people. There are women that still tell the stories of being ostracized. There are women who go to pilot training um, on the civilian side and as well as the military that tell the stories of how they are ostracized. So some things never change. Captain Claiborne, did you have many other folks in the aviation field, period, as you were coming along, people of color, women that you could talk to, who could mentor you. And there might have been some others who weren't that mentored you, but I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in knowing about mentorship and folks you could talk to who look like you and come from your community. The answer is no, I did not. There were uh, a couple guys ahead of me, um, um, black guys ahead of me, and, and they had said to me during pilot training, hey, Teresa, if you need any help, just reach out, but I tell you what, you're like a deer in the headlights and you're just trying to survive and you're just trying to hang on. But we had seven women in my class because since they decided to increase the allotment, mm -hmm. then they decided to put us put a lot of us at one base so that we could be there for each other. But I was the only one that looked like me. I was I actually was the first black woman pilot in the Air Force. So you can imagine there was nobody else that looked like me. Um, there was nobody that I actually felt like I could go to and you know cry on their shoulder. I went back to my room, I did my crying by myself and opened up my book and got at it. Um, we at Sisters of the Skies, um, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that I'm the, the president of Sisters of the Skies mm -hmm. and, and that's the main thing that we're trying to, mm -hmm. to do now. I don't want any young woman to have to reinvent the wheel. And so we try to grab them young, try to let them see that this is an opportunity for you, but you're gonna have some obstacles that other, everybody does not have and so let us try to prepare you for that. I remember some years back actually covering it, and it might have been in, in the middle of the 2000s. Major reports, it was a big deal, was highlighted by an all-black flight crew um, actually coming out of Atlanta to, I think it was Nashville, and how that was such a big deal. And that's around 2008, 2009, something like that. And people saying, "Why? Well, I, I didn't know that, that this was such a big deal. And, and I'm reporting these stories and I'm getting emails and phone calls. Why is this a big deal? And I'm like, well, it is a big deal. This is 2009. And this is the first time we've had a all-female, all-black flight crew. And aviation been around right. for a long time. So, A long time, a long time. You know, um, that's my friend, one of my friends, Stephanie Grant. And we work very closely together in Sisters of the Skies. And it's funny because Stephanie tells the story of how she found out about me and always looked up to me. And, and now we work together. We're mm -hmm. like buds, you know what I mean? It's like, we're a serious sisterhood, but you know, before um, social media, like we have now, there just, there just was not that much communication. And mm -hmm. when I graduated from pilot training, the wing commander wouldn't even allow any news outlets to come on the base. And they were all interested. Um, Ebony took the story mm -hmm. that the public affairs office wrote and said, well, we're going to print whatever, because this is history for us mm -hmm. and we want our people to know about it. But Newsweek, Time, U.S. News and World Report, all of them, they wanted to be in on it and they were not allowed. Yeah. So those kind of shenanigans, they happen then. Eh, I think they still happen. Um, there are there are some jealousies. You know, I took a flight with a young lady 
and we went to Paris mm-hmm. and I did a LinkedIn post about it. And I talked about the fact that here the two of us were, it's just a black woman, here the two of us are flying to Paris and Bessie had to take a, a ship to Paris to learn how to fly because they wouldn't train her here. Mm-hmm. And here we are flying a 787 Dreamliner. It was a phenomenal success as far as LinkedIn goes. People loved it, but I did have the detractors. I did have the people that came on and wrote a comment like, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. Well, when you hear about this nation's shortage, I'm going to bring in Dean Clark in, in a moment. And there are a lot of reasons. And like I said earlier, depending on whom you ask, you'll get different reasons. But we hear about more diversity in the pipeline. The dean mentioned the cost. You know, we talked about the fact that there's this perception that perhaps for some students, maybe they can't do it just because of the perception. Is it too hard? What do you make of this pilot shortage? And what do you think is the reason behind it, Captain? Well, it, it is. It's a complex situation. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. Cost is huge. It's it's going to be upwards of $120,000 to get your education, to learn, to start mm-hmm. from the very beginning and go through, and then attain enough hours in order to get a paying job. It's mm-hmm. a lot of money. I mean, I don't know very many people that their parents have that kind of money just sitting around. Yeah. Um, so you know, you just kind of compound that with the black community. Um, they don't get to see pilots. I, I get stares all the time. People are just there. Like, look, they, I mean, they turn all the way around, you know, stop, turn all the way around. I just smile and I wave. And if I have wings, I hand out wings. What do you say? And I, and I want to tell this story. Um, everyone knows my nickname is Peaches. I remember the first time on a plane, I was going to Cleveland. We were going to Cleveland for my grandmother's funeral. And the pilot gave me them little wings that you clip. And I was so excited. You know, that interaction, when you talk to to younger kids and they ask you, they say, Captain, can I be a pilot? What do you tell them? I tell them, absolutely, you can be a pilot. But I want you to leave here and I want you to continue studying. And you've got to study hard. You know, it doesn't really particularly matter what your degree is in. Although STEM, we do Mm -hmm. try to push women towards STEM. Um, because the better educated you are, the more choices you'll have, mm-hmm. simply put. But I can, I can teach a broadcaster, which is what I thought I was going to be, to be a pilot. You can teach me? <laughs> Dean, uh, Dean, can you and Captain Claiborne he take me up? <laughs> Aiden. <laughs> we, we can certainly get you on board down here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's let but let's back up. Let's then talk about then this pipeline and the dean and working with students, obviously at the collegiate level. Captain Claiborne, you all trying to reach students, particularly young girls, even at an earlier age. How you're all doing that with Sisters in the Skies? And you also have scholarship programs, too, as well. We do. Um, this listen, this is my Sisters in the Skies is my pride and joy. I absolutely love this organization and what we're what we're able to do. We have two young ladies. Let me just give them an example. Two young ladies um, who, one was a flight attendant. Oh, both actually were flight attendants, um, but both started on the civilian side. They didn't have military training like I did, but they when they came to Sisters of the Skies, they were what we call mentees. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not have the requisite. They were not commercial pilots. So they were not allowed to join the main body of Sisters of the Skies. But 
through mentorship and scholarship, they reached the point where they got their commercial license, then their um, um, their licensings to be instructors and mm-hmm. instrument instructors. And now they are both at the Aviate Academy, which is run you know, and owned by United Airlines. And they're training the next generation of United Airlines pilots. The two of them mm-hmm. will eventually well, they won't raise my gear and mm-hmm. I won't raise their gear, not in a uh, Dreamliner, because like I said, I'm gone. I'm mm-hmm. gone in one year, 11 months. And I mean, I could count the days, but um, but that's the pathway. You have to start from the beginning and you go up. And we have taken them from not being able to be a part of SOS to now mm-hmm. uh, being out there training pilots. I asked Dean Clark about that mandatory age requirement for commercial pilots, age 65. Dean Clark talked about, look, it could be a case-by-case. Captain, how do you feel about that? Um, it could be case-by-case. You know what? That's a, one of those, um, you know when you have a break in the dam and you plug in it? Mm-hmm. Kind of plug it. That That's that's what that, I, listen, I was around when the age was 60 and they changed it, okay? And as a young person flying at the time, um, I wanted those fellows to go away because they were in my seat. So now that they want to change it again, trust me, the people that are, you know, five, 10 years younger than me, they don't necessarily want that to change because I'm in their seat. Do you understand? I'm saying everything mm-hmm. is by seniority. Well, so the longer you let the older ones hang around, the younger ones do not continue to go up. And everybody paid a lot of money to learn how to fly airplanes. There are things, other things that can be done that will also help the situation. And like what? Dean, like, I mean, to, um, Captain, like what? What else can be done? I think we, we lost her. We'll get her back. Uh, Dean Clark, you heard the captain say, look, you know, she was kind of waiting for some of these folks to, <laughs> to get out of the way so she could get a chance. Uh, if, a, if a pilot still has a skill set, still has the cognitive skills, you know, can you understand someone being – a little upset that, hey, I have to let this go at age 65, especially since we have this shortage. Well, I think Captain Claiborne made a, a very valid point. I think it was in 2009, maybe, when they changed the retirement age from 60 to 65. Uh, and also, during, you know, in 2008, 2009, the airline industry had slowed down the pilot hiring. So that in itself had an impact on people entering the workforce because mm-hmm. if you can't find a job right away after investing that kind of money as she mentioned that we've talked about uh it, it does have a trickle down effect for sure mm-hmm. captain Glaber, i'm going to ask you this assessing your own skills your skill set your veteran you've been doing this for decades you feel like you're still as i imagine i know you probably still feel you're just as sharp as ever correct i do i do i tell you though i'll be honest there are times when I uh, come back from Delhi and it's a 16 and a half hour flight. I don't do what I used to do when I was a youngster. When I was a youngster, I'm saying 35, even 40, uh, I would hit the ground running. There was something I needed to do and I'd get it done. But mm-hmm. when I come home from a trip now, I, I, <laughs> I take my time. What, so, what are the requirements in terms of, or the mandates in terms of when you have a long flight like that, is there a, a mandate in terms of what we would call downtime or grounded time before you can go back up in the air? Oh, with, without a doubt. Um, three days. I'm not going to go on a trip 
until after three days. And that, and it's even more because the flight that I'm doing right now, um, and I will, I'll be actually going to uh, Delhi tomorrow. We take two captains and two first officers. Um, mm -hmm. We're having to fly around Russian airspace. We can't go through Russian airspace. So it increases the hours of the flight. It's kind of like truckers. They're mm -hmm. only allowed to fly or they're only allowed to drive a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. Those are things you can't monkey around with. You really can't. Um, we do carry four pilots with us, um, but uh, it used to be just myself and three first officers. Now it's myself, another captain and two first officers. So it's, it's serious business. And, you know, it's something that, you know, the FAA is hopefully stays on top of safety is paramount and it mm -hmm. is number one. And for that reason, you know, um, you know, they changed some of the requirements. Uh, the, the Dean was talking about it. Um, back in 2010 with mm -hmm. the Colgan accident, 1500 hours. And they, sh I do not believe that they should decrease that. I mean, I'm a passenger just like you are. Mm -hmm. And I know people don't like them saying that the flight is canceled because they don't have a pilot to fly it, but I want a pilot at the controls that uh, should be there and not somebody who has a, a small number of hours that mm -hmm. they just stuck in that seat because they needed a pilot. Captain, are you seeing more and more women and women of color, even if they're coming through Sisters of the Skies or just in general? Are, you, are we starting to see a little bit more diversity, though, on these flights, commercial flights? Um, you know, I, it's it's hard to say because I'm in my own little niche. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm on the 787 and, um, you know, that's those are the people that I see that I fly with. I do. I would. I do say that as I'm walking through the terminal, I do see people who look like me, and it's a joy and it's yeah. a pleasure. Um, in some ways, we do increase, and then um, it's still not still not enough. Mm -hmm. The United Airlines, you know, we have quite a few pilots. We have over 900 women pilots, and there are only 19 of us that are black women. So we're still a very small number. 19 out of 900. Right, and that's we have over 13,000 pilots. I'm not sure what the number of black males is mm -hmm. at United, um, but uh, it's, it's, you know, it's the same kind of a percentage, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not a lot. Dean Clark, when you hear those numbers, what is your hope and especially what you all can do at Middle Georgia State University to help, you know, encourage and, and, and not only encourage, but support those students on that next phase in terms of wanting to become a commercial pilot? Well, obviously, we definitely want to see those numbers increase. We, we've seen those numbers increase at our institution. I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and I think when I first started here um, nearly 20 years ago, I, our number of minority pilots was probably 1% to 2%, hmm. if that, uh, and same with female uh, today we're 38% minority, 14% uh, female, which is well above the national average, but it's still not where it needs to be. We still have a lot of work to do. I have a question from a listener who says, do your guests also have thoughts about on-plane support staff, air traffic controllers and mechanics as well, because commercial piloting is a team effort and they're plotting recent union efforts. Uh, this is your own opinion here. Do, do you all feel like you have a some support there and do you need more i'll, I'll address this to captain claiborne i know you have unions um but we, we do, do have unions and 
obviously any effort that there is to um, bring more of us into the fold is a good one. Um, and they are having issues elsewhere too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the air traffic control um, is having issues. I mean, it, it's, it's the pandemic kind of really reached in and there's a lot of people that are left from work and are not coming back. Yeah. Um, getting into Newark these days is difficult. Um, they don't have enough air traffic controllers. So it's what, not just pilots. Why, why are they just leaving because of the pandemic or just realizing? I'm not 100% sure, but, mm-hmm. you know, there are retirement ages and, and people just kind of move on. But, you know, the pandemic really did change the mindset for a lot of people. Obviously, with air traffic control, you cannot work from home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of jobs where people transfer and they started doing it at home and now they don't want to go back into the office. That's a mindset. And so when you start living a different way and you have your children there and you're taking care of your children and they're not, you know, sent somewhere else, um, it's a whole mindset. So there's some work to be done. As we wrap up and I'll start with you, Dean Clark, what is your message then to listeners and for what you want them to understand about this quote pilot shortage? And again, you know, how do we see ourselves? How do we see how does the nation see itself out of this? Is there a short term solution? I'm not sure if there is a short-term solution that wouldn't, as we talked about earlier with the increase in the pilot age a year or two, that would not, I believe Captain Claiborne used the term plug in the hole earlier perhaps, but that's that's what it does. It, it, it kicks the can down the road, so to speak. I, I think my message to people are, and, and Captain Claiborne uh, alluded to this as well, be patient. If your flight is canceled, I, I assure you that the airlines are canceling flights due to shortages or whatever it may be. We want to operate safely. Uh, my message to young people, it is a career worth looking into and, mm-hmm. and don't let the cost be an obstacle for you. There's a lot of avenues, scholarships, student loans, there's a whole avenues. So get involved, reach out to different organizations, uh, Sisters of the Sky, uh, Women in Aviation, Organization Black Airline Pilots, uh, uh, reach out to institutions, Middle Georgia State University. Uh, we're, we're a little cheaper than what Captain Claiborne alluded to earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a state institution and we're a very affordable flight training, uh, but there are flight training institutions across the nation. All right. So reach out to one of them. Right. Captain Claiborne, I'll give you the last word. What is your message? What do you want folks to know? We, we say the same thing. And yes, we do want people to be patient and realize that the airlines are in a business to make money. And they're not going to leave you stranded just because there's a reason. Um, and we're trying our best to get it get it all together. Um, I'd just like to say to uh, Dean Clark, you know, hey, think about maybe uh, partnering with uh, Sisters of the Skies. We'd love to come down to middle uh, Georgia State and, and do some things with you all. You all have airplanes and we got some folks. So um, we just want to get more people interested in this profession, especially black women. Uh, that, that That's that's where my walk is. Yeah, uh, Captain Claiborne, I I know it's uh, some months away, but are you thinking about what's next, your next chapter? You know, I have been. Um, I've done some as of uh, lately. I've done some public speaking, and I, I kind of think that that's where that's going to take me. All so, right. Captain well. Teresa Claiborne, veteran commercial pilot and present Sisters of the Skies, also again joined by Aiden Clark, Dean the School of Aviation from Middle Georgia State University. Good conversation. 
Thank you all for taking time. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, Teresa, the dean is sending you a message there. See how I bring folks together? That's what we do I, on Close I see Friday. it, and I'm, I see it, and I'm going to exchange. <laughs> we're going to exchange numbers here. Would love to have a conversation. Thanks for having me, Rose. Yes, sir, definitely. And don't forget, we have it on tape. You all said you would put me up in the in a plane. I'm just saying. <laughs> Take you can't you get up in the plane. You can't get on my controls, but you can get on some of these controls. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank Fantastic. you. Thank you for having us. And before Closer Look continues on this day, of course, you know, I'm Rose Scott, a historic moment yesterday as civil rights leader and pioneering educator Mary McLeod Bethune was honored. Now, she's the first black American to receive a state statute in the National Statuary Hall Collection. Now, you may be wondering, well, who is Mary McLeod Bethune? Well, if you don't know, I'm about to tell you. Best known for her work as a civil rights leader, presidential advisor, and educator. And during her lifetime, she worked with the NAACP and the UN. She pioneered organizations dedicated to women's suffrage, voter registration, and founded the historically black institution, Bethune-Cookman University in Florida. Now, what you're about to hear is from 1939. She's addressing the nation on NBC Radio's America's Town Meeting of the Air. And she's talking about, she's pondering this question as it relates to racism and inequality. What does American democracy mean to me? We have always been loyal, and the ideals of American democracy have been attacked. We have given our blood in its defense from Christmas Abbott's on Boston Commons to the battlefields of France. We have fought for the democratic principles of equality under the law, equality of opportunity, equality at the ballot box for the guarantees of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have what to deserve one nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Yes, we have fought for America with all her imperfections, not so much for what she is, but for what we know she can be. Perhaps the greatest battle is before us. The fight for a new America, fearless, free, united, morally rearmed, in which 12 million Negroes, shoulder to shoulder with their fellow Americans, will strive that this nation under God will have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, for the people, and by the people shall not perish from the earth. This dream, this idea, this aspiration, this is what American democracy means to me. From 1939 in New York City, Mary McLeod Bethune. You know, in her last will and testament, in part reads, quote, If I have a legacy to leave my people, it is my philosophy of living and serving. As I face tomorrow, I am content, for I think I have spent my life well. I pray now that my philosophy may be helpful to those who share my vision of a world of peace, progress, brotherhood, and love, close quote. 
The U.S. Capitol, which was built using enslaved labor, still honors nine Confederate figures. This is Closer Look. That is it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janae Netter, LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and our summer intern is Lennox Johnson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other that you all love to do, and I love to read them. Send me your emails, as you all will do, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you know, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like or any of our wonderful podcasts. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. WABE. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. WABE.